Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom? Beer or coffee? Going to go with beer here because I can have a coffee porter or a coffee stout. Can't do it the other way around. Yeah, I gave up beer. It's a carb issue. I'm a gay man in Los Angeles. We don't do it.
This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornipitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, down to 14, week two, kind of getting a feel for the field. We now have teams, respectively. You have seven contestants. I have seven contestants. So now the games begin. And it is a cast of thousands at the judges' tables. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a uh, Fox pregame for his Sunday uh, afternoon football games, and there's 15. I, I don't know. Would you say that the the CNN or the the political shows are outdoing the the NFL shows now with with how many people they have at a table? Right, because actually, like I think with one of those networks, like CNN, they do like the satellite commentators table like there's not even a it's like it's like seder in my family back in the day like you got to open up the other room for the other table yeah yeah there's a lot of contestants here and it's or a chef, you know top chef alums who are at the table and it's great to see carrie back um she's just a beacon of of, of smiles uh i feel like she's she's great and it's good to see mrs fancy toast back on the on the podium this was a a really good episode and um a lot of dynamics here at play, you know, team dynamics here at play that I'd love to workshop with you here. Um, always one of my favorites is just strategy. A lot of strategy I, going I on. I have in this, this note, Tom, that how much you like watching when the scenario is pick your partner. This is <laughs> this is the Tom Haver so special because yeah. I know you like to see sort of how because it, it's like one of the few completely like non-deterministic moments in the show. It's like, let the contestants decide their sort of the strength of their team. And it does reveal so many, not only does it reveal the way the contestants perceive each other as in terms of strength and weakness, sort of personal affinity, likability, uh, compatibility. I know you love that. Oh, it's a truth serum. I mean, those, those, Games at the backyard or the the, um, the the basketball court blacktop is, you know, select your team. It is a truth serum. Um, you got to put your friendships aside and you just got to go, who the fuck am I going to choose to win this damn challenge? Or in this case, who am I going to win to survive? Right. So I I love this. Yeah. Um, but let's go from the top. So we had, uh, we had the Top Chef Diner, Kevin. Right. This is – the challenge is a breakfast short order. I thought a couple things were interesting. Because I thought there was a lot of redundancy in the ordering. Why is there nothing sweet? Nobody asks for French toast or crepes, um, pancakes of some kind. So I was really surprised that you had like a lot of hash, a lot of fried eggs. Um, there was no breakfast burrito. I was shocked. We're highlighting a lot of Latin American chefs. Um, and I just thought that, you know, given the emphasis on Mexican food, there were breakfast burritos are like the greatest. I mean, one of the great culinary trends of the last 20 years in this country is the breakfast burrito. It is such a, it is a dish so suited to breakfast. And so I thought that was surprising. So I like the challenge itself and what it demanded of the contestants. Just thought it was like a lot of missed opportunities there. Yeah. I kind of felt the same way where there's a lot of eggs going on, but yeah, no waffles, you know, chicken and waffles or anything like that. And fried chicken and waffles. I think one of the best parts about this was that Richard Blaze was set up as the last one to drop the, the, the bomb, right? And I really liked that. It kind of was a little unfair 
when he dropped the bomb on Nelson and Chris about the corned beef hash eggs over medium with the hash browns and the hollandaise. Like that is that is like that continental USA uh, breakfast you see at every hotel uh, restaurant, right? And he drops that at the end. And so I like the strategy here, Kevin, of like the little play of like you're in a fantasy football draft or an auction style draft and you got to nominate players. Do you want to spend all your money in the beginning or do you want to kind of lay in the weeds a little bit at the end? And obviously Chris and Nelson waited until the very end. But what about you, Kevin? If you were if you were one of the chef testants here, would you have kind of bird in the hand, try to jump out early and try to get a dish ahead of time? Or would you try to just wait this out and see if like a magical dish happens that you know you can do and you wait to spend your money? No, no, no. I, I think the two guys who rung in for steak and eggs, because those are declared components. You know exactly what you can do, right? Shrimp and grits was another one where, hey, you got a protein, you got a starch and you can doll it up. You can have some fun. There's a lot of versatility. It's an easier canvas, whereas like you wait around and here you get the kitchen sink. And I'll tell you another thing about that kitchen sink, as if there weren't 30,000 components. Hollandaise is not something you can just start and leave. You've got to emulsify the butter. You have to stand there, dribble it out a little bit at a time. It is one of the more difficult technical task because you just can't it's all like, yeah i get it on the stove and then i'm gonna go run to the pantry you have to be present you have to stand there so it was a completely unreasonable ask um and and to the judge's credit and richard's credit like they didn't get they didn't really get dinged i mean no. the nice thing about the like you, there, you couldn't finish on the bottom i mean it was a one-on-one so they the, the level of difficulty is the same for both challengers they're not going up against the other chefs um, except for, for for the one uh, but yeah i think the key here is you want to ring in when you got the pro with shrimp and grits steak and eggs maybe a fried egg and a veggie hash but dim sum was the most i am shocked that i was right? rung in and by the way so impressed that shoda doesn't care like yeah i'll do it um, I mean, it's, uh, Shoda is to me what, revealing what, himself, Tom, as the most gutsy advanced chef in this competition. Oh, I feel here we even go. Even better this about show my to love fest. Here we go. Here we go, Kevin. Of course, you, you trade up for him, and now now you're just you're, you're just showering him with praise and love. I think this could be one of the most exceptional individual. Season performances we have seen <laughs> on this show in two decades. I'm sold. Love what he's doing. Why, why uh, do you think no I one gotta... buzzed in for um, for dim sum? Do you think it's just I don't know? It was it was it Melissa? Like wh- is part of it just a little bit of fear of of giving the plates to Melissa? I, I think it's twofold. One is what we'll call the "don't cook Indian" for um, for Pat yeah. syndrome, right? Like you don't want to, you don't want to have to live up to the, the the home standard of the judge. Number two, dim sum's hard. Generally, you know, you could do spare ribs. You know, you come around and there's like those overly braised spare ribs on the on the cart. But generally speaking, it's noodles and dumpling. And so you have this. I mean, just think about how much harder noodles and dumplings are to do in 30 minutes than steak and eggs, mm. right? So, so I just think in terms of level of difficulty. There aren't components that are defined. And so I think it's, it is the don't cook Indian for Padma syndrome 
and the noodle dumpling difficulty. Yeah, shout out to Shota for that one. That looked that, that looked like something he had done a, a billion times, and it was perfectly plated. I mean, it just looked like a perfect plate of food there um, to do in a quick fire. Super impressive. Um, you know, the steak and eggs, they both looked great. Gabe comes out on top in that one, and then Shota comes out on, on the dim sum. And then Kwame drops out the uh, the shrimp and grits. And I'm just excited. Like whenever, like you said, whenever you can have a, you know, the two elements very easily defined in that I'm jumping all over. So Jamie and Sarah get on that one. And my girl Jamie comes out with the creamy yeah. polenta with the kojujang shrimp. Um, I mean, both of those dishes looked really good. But uh, I big upset here, Jamie taking over uh, Sarah. Look, I mean, her spot in Vegas is really well regarded. It's got a expansive menu. She has the profile of someone who should be, you know, good at Top Chef, creative but practical, right? And and I and I think you know has a has an identity as a chef. And I and I think, yeah, it's like I already had bought, I already had seller's remorse. Like I I already am sort of like yeah, that's probably who I should have taken at. 11 instead of Sasha, who we'll talk about later. Uh, one of the things I also found revealing about this quick fire is let, let's take the steak and eggs and dim sum real quickly. Steak and eggs demonstrated a creativity gap between the two chefs. You're starting to see, you know, Gabe does this, you know, chipotle adobo with a, with a black garlic molasses oh, steak. Come on. You know, and, and by the way, no disrespect to Byron, but, uh, um, you know, T-bone chimichurri. Okay. It is a creativity gap in terms of the technical gap on the dim sum, right? As Avishar himself said, show to this guy is making mochi in 30 minutes. You know, a fritter, frankly, is a little bit of a crutch in this. And, you know, there's a reason you didn't see the fritters win. You saw the fritter lose in dim sum. You know, a very advanced chef like Sasha loses the fritter in the shrimp and grits. Fritters kind of, it's a little bit of a cop-out, to be perfectly honest. And so you're already seeing the technical gap. So one of the things I like about these one-on-ones is it does start to reveal, you know. I have a question for you, Tom, regarding one of your top picks. I think Dawn is as good as any chef in this competition in terms of technicality, in terms of just the ability to conceive ideas. Are you getting concerned about this time management issue? Oh, yeah. Big time concerned. Big time. I mean, the, the 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 pitch was fried eggs and veggie hash. First word is is fried egg, right? And both Dawn and Sasha couldn't get it on the plate. And it's like, come on, that's the first thing. And I want to sit here and say, Dawn, you know, uh, she learned from her first mistake, but she didn't, and that really worries me. Worries me. And uh, on Pack Your Knives Twitter. So it's at Pack Knives on Twitter. I asked people to send in their drafts that they they posted. And one of the fascinating things that they did was Dawn's Dawn's all over the map. Like I picked her third. Someone else picked her second in their draft. But then Priyanka picked her uh, in her draft 11th. Jacob Rosen, shout out to Jacob Rosen in front of the program, picked Dawn in his draft. In their draft went ninth. No one really knows what to do with Dawn. And in the second episode, I'm a little nervous about her inability to uh to put something on the plate that is essential to the to the to the to the competition. That is that is scary to me. And I think Dawn uh I would have thought the opposite is that as someone who's been the 
in terms of global competitions at the highest levels of humankind, mankind, you have Dawn who's just forgetting things. And that to me, she's, she's skating on thin ice here. And I'm very nervous about Dawn. If you want to offer me a deal for Dawn, I'm not sure I'm selling. She might be on the trade block if you're interested in, in trading for Dawn, but I'm just saying, uh, this is making me very nervous at this point. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's it's an interesting question. Like, uh, you know, would you take Maria for Dawn straight up right now? Okay, Maria for Dawn straight up right now. Um, can I? Ooh, can I? Can I toss an Avishar? Avishar and Maria for Dawn. Well, see, here here's my issue, and I'm learning my lesson. Contestants are worth points. And so when you start having – the more contestants you have, yeah, you get the negative five if you lose. But by and large, I'm giving you points. What I would give you in the season 19 draft is a swap of my third pick. So it would either be five or six for your fourth pick, which would be either seven or eight. See that that's not that's not enough for me. I need I need a pick in addition. I mean, Don. See, th- but I, I'm telling you, man. Like I, I've learned my lesson. You kicked my ass three seasons in a row, and I think in, in I think two of those cases, I the two for one thing is just it, it just doesn't work for me. I mean, it's like kind of what we argued about with, um, you know, do we do we kind of throw Roscoe in? And I I just think that look, the average even a mediocre contestant nets positive points and i'm just giving you i'm just throwing in point now i realize hey i'm already saying that i think dawn's going to score higher than maria but it's very hard for one contestant to score higher than two others combined am i right or wrong about that correct me if i'm wrong. i think you i think you're right here um so it's not about avishar it's about just sheer numbers of two contestants versus one like i'll give you avishar for whoever you want to unload if you want to go avishar byron as part of that deal that's fine i mean take Take somebody, but I need to have a body, mm. right? Like that, that's my issue is I'm, I'm, I can't keep giving up bodies because I think that's where I get my ass kicked every – you're 3-0 and against me. This is a point of real embarrassment for me, Tom. <laughs> I, I, I just – I'm not going to lose this season. All right. I'm, so I'm not ready to – I like the Dawn for Maria deal, but let me know what else. We need another swap, and I'm open. Okay. Um would you do Maria and Brittany? Ooh. Okay. You want to revisit this again let's, in the end of the show? Yeah, let's revisit because I think we've we've got we've got the because, framework because the of a deal. Of in place. these negotiations might drive our listeners crazy, or or they're they're geeking out on this because I'm I'm not sure. So my team right now is Gabe, Don, Gabriel, Nelson, Kiki, Jamie, Byron. Yours is Shota, Sarah, Chris, Maria, Brittany, Sasha, Avishar. I'm um I'm looking at your team and there are a couple interesting pieces there that I that I want that I'm interested in on the other side of that trade call. Yeah. However, let's continue with the show yeah. and revisit at the end. Um I think we might have skipped over Dale Talde's uh spam and kimchi fried rice, which might have been yeah. my favorite prompt of all of them. I I mean the idea yeah, yeah, of that sounds was, delicious to me. And by the way, both dishes sounded great. I mean, I love what Maria I mean chorizo was such a great breakfast item. You know, it's got some spice. It's got a, like some fat. 
you know, that nice, you know what I like to do is like the chorizo grease you mix with whatever the starch is on the plate. Like it's just chipotle chorizo is a really smart modification there, but the pineapple apparently made the day. Pineapple is a very, is a very controversial ingredient in savory food. You know, like the great pineapple on pizza debate. Um, some people don't like their pineapple in a savory situation. How do you feel about this? I think this is a very Gabriel move. Gabriel's very controversial, uh, which we'll talk about later in the show. But um, yeah, putting pineapple in this in this dish is, you know, it, it depends on the eye of the beholder here. I think Dale enjoyed that, liked that aspect. I'm a fan. Personally, I'm a fan of the pineapple in a pork fried rice. Um, I'm also a fan, not necessarily like – I'm not um, a zealot about the pineapple ham that the Hawaiian pizza like I used to eat that as a kid um I kind of grown out of that a little bit but I'm not I'm not against it so I Gabriel putting the seared pineapple in this dish I think is a very Gabriel move is he's a he's a bit uh bold I get maybe is the right word Gabriel does win this one but I think Maria had a really strong dish too I think it yeah. could have gone both ways um I, I got the sense that as you did that maybe that was the closest um, of the seven competitions there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So then, um, um, Carrie, of course the fancy toast comes into play. Love the fancy toast reference. Of course it's here. Brittany and Kiki go head to head. Yeah. You know, so Brittany had a tough, uh, elimination challenge, obviously, but I, I kind of, you're starting to see what she does. It's so much different than any other chef, which is she does yummy beige food. Right. She she has this Bavarian thing going into her restaurants. This mushroom machego baguette. Machego baguette looked so very oh good. God, it looks so good. I'm not a big Spanish cheese guy. There's always a kind of a I don't like the texture and the salt content as much as like French and Italian cheeses, but like like this is is a really good looking dish. As by the way, as is avocado and green harissa toast with Kiki. This is another one I think that was probably close. Um you know it's funny, Kiki's been in the middle um pretty much everywhere. Uh, I like her. I, I kind of like what I'm seeing. I, I think, first of all, I don't think she's going out anytime soon. I, I think there's just a, a base competence there that is going to carry her for several weeks. I, I just, I don't see any mistakes. Mm. Um, so I, I, I got to tell you, like Kiki, somebody on your board, I kind of, I, I kind of covet as well. Um, okay, okay. But, but Brittany, Brittany, I think is look. We'll talk about the elimination challenge. Um, but I, I think Brittany's a really skilled chef. And um, even though that was fancy toast, which, as you know, all the chefs in the in the carry season kind of loathe as being a cop out dish. Um, look, she makes good tasting food. Right, right. And when it comes to fancy toast, I think Kiki, I'm actually going the other way on this one. Avocado toast seems almost too trendy and on the nose for this one. Um, mm -hmm. And I would have liked to have seen her kind of be a little bit more creative with this dish. Brittany, like that's what I'm talking about. Like that dish looked like uh, if I'm seeing that on a spread at a brunch, I am all over it. Um, oh, yeah. And then, of course, that is the, hangover food extraordinary. Yeah, and I I'm a sucker for mushrooms and cheese. Like, come on, it, oh, it's yeah. uh, incredible. So then, finally, with Richard Blaze, who at this point just is so comfortable up there, it seems like he could be the fourth, you know, guest judge or fourth. Uh, you know, permanent judge on this show. Tom, we've we've got to get Blaze on again. We got to do it. We've got to. I mean, Richard, if you're listening to this, we got to get you on. That's still my favorite episode we've ever done. Yeah. Oh, it was a banger. Richard Blaze, um, we want you back on the show. And I'd love to eat a corned beef hash 
eggs over medium. Interesting choice with the medium. I'm more of a easy. Um, oh yeah, easy I guy. Want, I want that yolk. That 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 like that viscosity of the really runny yolk. I love that. Yeah. I was a kid who um, who would get the the hash the corned beef hash pop open that can, throw it on the fryer, and I could eat the whole damn thing. I am such a sucker for that spammy, salty mm-hmm. pork, um, beefy, like all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of breakfast food. The hollandaise thrown in, like we said at the top. This is like saying, you know, it's a tr- it's a straight up troll, Tom. It is, and I appreciate the theatrics of it. It's fun for the game show, but I, I also really like that they gave him kind of a little handicap here when in this in the grading of it, being like, yeah, of course you can't like do all of those things in in just ten minutes. So I liked that Nelson. Man, I love Nelson. He just seems like he's going to bring his Dominican uh, Caribbean flavors on every dish, and it's the same thing with with Brittany, where I think it might be an advantage here coming from their restaurants where they know it's, it's a specific ethnic food or nationality where they're, they're coming in with a certain culture that is going to frame their dish every time when they cook, as opposed to someone who's got like a kaleidoscope of different backgrounds that or kitchens that they've worked at. I actually think Nelson and Brittany's framing is really an advantage here for them. Yeah. Um, th- one of the things I, I like so far is, you know, we've got a sense of maybe the, the elite top, but I think there's there's a whole cluster of chefs that we're still kind of – that are going to reveal themselves over the next few weeks, right? The level of creativity, the level of technicality, um, just kind of the level of the cook. You know, can you execute a protein? Can you, like, execute a pasta, right? And I, I think I think that's – Nelson is a particularly interesting – candidate here um as is Brittany. you know i mean she's got major accolades and it, look it goes back to that conversation we have with tyler anderson which is you know to what extent does this show tell you who is the best chef of the group and to what extent is this a game that is so specific um in its demands that where you rank as a chef Granted, that's a subjective measure, has really very little correlation to where not, – not zero, but but less of a correlation to your success on the show than anyone might imagine who's watching it. Yeah, yeah. I mean I think I think it's really hard – seeing that with Dawn. Yeah. yeah. Like it's really hard to peg right now. We're two episodes in. Of course we don't really know if if these – you know, this small, the the, the small sample size theater – is real or, or, or false. Like I'm, I'm looking at Jamie who wins the quick fire after saying I have anxiety with competitions. I don't know why like that. When she said that, Kevin, I was like, Oh, I'm fucked. Like there's no way Jamie's going to last long in this competition. Then she fucking wins the, the quick fire. You know, like I, I don't know what to make of her or Dawn. Um, Brittany shows out in this quick fire and then kind of falls on her face in the, in the second uh, in an elimination challenge. So a- after Quickfire, the only thing we know, I think at this point, is that Gabe and Shota are on another plane. That's my that's my yeah. feeling. Is there's a tier system, and I think Shota, you might have Shota in, its, in his own tier, tier, but I think I have Gabe or Alice in that tier as well. Yeah, I think Gabe's really strong. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to give up on Sarah's elite. I mean, I think it's a question of, of confidence, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um yeah, but I'm with you. I 
there the, the the other cluster is really fascinating and, and jamie showed a lot um you know and she, she did fine in the uh, elimination even with uh immunity which sometimes can be sort of a dis not a disincentive but certainly kind of quell any like extra motivation you have to just like bust ass so let's talk about the elimination challenge as let's as we teased up top tom you love these scenarios yeah it's great i mean from the beginning it's you know, pull and uh, pull knives and, and basically decide which team you're going to be on team coffee or team beer. Um, I drink coffee every morning. I probably drink beer. I, I compensate for your la- you giving up your beer. And I have drank more beer since you've given up than probably you have in your entire life. I love beer. I love a hazy IPA. I love uh, stouts. And I think for this competition, um, you know, I really like the idea of a chocolate stout or a, a coffee stout. It works really well. And I was just thinking that coffee or beer, when they first started this, I was like, ooh, what if you just did both? And then sure enough, later we find out that you kind of do have to do both. But they pat they they pull knives. Um Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. And, you know, you get the two teams, coffee or beer. Which one would you have been more excited about if you had drawn a knife, uh, coffee or beer, Kevin, if you had to cook a meal with one of those two things? Yeah, it's a really tough call because each one offers something different. Like coffees are great for rubs, and and you saw that some of the winners. That's exactly how they utilize it. Also, like like coffee can be a great texture. Like I love like the coffee crunch if executed well. There were some bad coffee crunches clearly um, in, in this competition, but it can be a really nice little additive to give texture to a dish that might need it. But beer also is nice, and we saw. You know, and we, and we saw this with um, with Gabriel, oh, right? Yeah. Like, like a so it's interesting. You said that you know the, the the chocolate stout, a sour beer, can really offer that particular flavor component. And so, you know, for a for a braise, like I love like the chili I used to make. This had a ton of beer in it, right? And so it can be a really nice sour uh, component to a dish. And we saw that with a compressed watermelon, just 
you know, perfect with this sort of sweet sour combination. So it, it's tough. I mean, I think like you're pulling the I knife. Like Which rub- one are you hoping for? I'm, I'm, I mean, here's what I'm doing. I'm hoping for coffee because now I do kind of a coffee rubbed grilled salmon. Mm, wow. Right. Like to me, that's such a great dish. Grilling salmon is fantastic because it's fatty and it can hold up on the grill. I love like you do a here's what I would have done. A, a coffee and chili powder and smoked paprika rub or something like that. A little ground mustard in there too, right? Maybe maybe actually some sugar. So and then I just do a grilled salmon. Mm. And so I'm hoping for coffee in that respect. Kevin, there's a twist here. They go to the restaurant. They think they're on team coffee or beer. And Tom Colicchio comes in and says, hey, what's going on? How's it going? Everyone gets super nervous. Why is Tom here? This is a curveball waiting to happen. And I was curious to see what this curveball was going to be. And this is one of my favorite things is we're now in the backyard, schoolyard, uh, pick your teams. All right, you guys have to pick a partner and blend the two dishes into one and make sure you have an element that is entirely yours. That's the pitch. That's the prompt. And man, so many interesting interesting things happen here, Kevin. Yeah, what was your what was your what did you think was most the most revealing combination? To me, it's that no one wanted to pair up with Shoda. That one Oh, I thought it the fact that like Everybody should have been flocking to the guy. No, I think it was no, it was fascinating that no one wanted to go with him because if there's going to be a winner, it's going to be Shota. And so going against Shota or being paired with Shota, um, I I get so here here's here's when when you're with Shota, it just makes you look worse as a chef. And even though you might have a winning dish, I think you have the lesser. Ch- Actually, I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it. I mean, Do you want to pair with dude, Shota just because you're going to win? It's it's basically de facto immunity. I don't know. I think you definitely pair with Shoda. I don't know because if you're not – And Avishar is smart enough to realize. I don't know because if you're not on his level, I kind of feel like you might drag it down where you have uh, – it's very clear that who who did the best thing on the dish and it might drag – like it's almost like you know. But you're not going to have the worst of – there's no way Shoda is going to have the worst of seven dishes. Mm. It's basically immunity. Avishar got immunity. When the minute he ran, like, ran or whatever, they stumbled into one another, their eyes met across a crowded room, whatever you want to characterize it, is he got immunity. Ah. There was no way. And so, okay, who cares? And by the way, they didn't name an individual winner. They got both got a W. That's right. That's right. So so that, know, that's so, interesting. Um, I, I went the opposite direction is that I, not many people wanted to go with Shota. And then Avishar finally said, it, well, all right, let's, 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 let's link up here. The other thing I thought was interesting, Kevin – is the Jamie aspect. Jamie has immunity, officially has immunity. Would you have gone with Jamie simply because of the immunity letdown factor is that immunity is going to naturally bring you down in a dish um, just because you might not focus as much? But I might go with Jamie because of that factor that they discussed here is if the dish falls apart, I'm going to jump on the grenade because I have immunity. And so you're almost... By virtue of teaming up with Jamie, you're sharing in that immunity because she's going to fall on the grenade. I thought that was fascinating. Nah, man, I'm running as far away from the the immunity contestant as possible because as you know, right? And we've seen this, I think, and I can't recall a specific incident where a team lost the person with immunity by all rights should have gone home. But they say, you're lucky you have immunity because you'd be going home. Um, they get scolded like like from the disappointed dad, Tom. And then the poor schmuck who was second, who did actually outrun the person who outran the bear, still gets eaten. 
because I go so far away from Jamie because there's a hundred percent chance if you were of if you were on the bottom as the dish collectively that you were going home, irrespective of what you do. I like well, I it, it comes down to the trust factor. No. It comes down to the trust factor with Jamie. Is Jamie gonna w- be willing to eat that? L and set and step up and say, look, that was me that over overcooked the it chicken. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you can't go home, Tom. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the good component and she has the bad component. This is the only situation where you can go down, even if you have the better component. I th- I still madness. think that's an advantage. Linking up, Kiki linking up. What are you up, talking about? Because because she can fall on the sword and she can't go home. And what so is they, falling the, on the sword? You see, what, what, right, so give me the scenario where she where the other person doesn't go home when she falls on the sword. Well, for, What's the scenario? Well, as we saw, there were multiple teams in the bottom, and so if the dish goes bad because let's say Kiki overcooked a chicken or something like that. Jamie says, look, it was me who overcooked the chicken. That was my fault. And the judges sit there and say, I'm not going to punish Kiki for something that Jamie did. So you know what? Kiki, you survive. I'm going to move my attention to the other. I don't think there's a history of the show doing that. What they typically do is take the worst dish. And if the person who has immunity is on the team, the next person gets screwed. No. I mean, that's generally what happens. That's not what's show. going through my head, Kevin. My it, my head says like, I don't think I don't think the judges ever switch dishes because they don't want to punish the immunity person. I think they I mean, my understanding and tell me if there's another example is they pick the they they identify the worst dish and then they take the worst eligible chef to go home. And if the worst eligible chef cannot go home because of immunity, it's the next person who goes home. It could be. I don't want anything to do with Jamie in that scenario. I run the other side of the room. I grab, I, I don't know, I grab a ham sandwich and say, I'm working with this guy. What? Like, I, I don't, I don't want anything to do with That's it. That's fair. That's fair. I get your, no. I get your perspective, but I still think Jamie, when she put it on the table and said, Hey, let's make a pact. If it's a bad dish, I'm going to jump on the grenade. I thought that was a really smart strategic decision. And oh, by the way, I, I thought it was a classy statement yes yes and i think it saved kiki from a little bit of the pressure of like now i'm I'm with the immunity um contestant that that's a load off because she's willing to uh to use the full expansion of her the full spectrum of her immunity and take take the l um no matter whether that would have happened or not we don't know but that that was interesting any other uh schoolyard picking of teams dynamics here that 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 was highlighted for you I mean, not so much that. I mean, I, I I thought Kiki and Nelson was a really fun match, and, and and again, linguistically, they were both really excited to have that experience. I mean, there's a cautionary tale in all this, right? And they were almost annoyingly precious. But like Sasha and Brittany are now under the impression that you can that camaraderie and goodwill can somehow produce a dish, mm-hmm. as if you don't actually have to have a conception, like. We're friends, brig and bright. Yeah, and you're going down. Like, give me the contrast between Dawn and Gabriel in this competition and Sarah and Brittany, right? Like, Dawn and Gabriel going out a little bit, right? I love like this juxtaposition, two, Kevin. I, yeah. You know, and it's just like, and and what does it produce? Basically, a, a dish that got within a hair of winning the whole thing, right? Like, give me, give me two hard-headed, but competent and driven competitive show. And they're both competitive and the collective co- competitiveness really produced a good outcome versus the, you know, we're sisters in happiness and we're going to produce an absolute 
dish of dog food. Kevin, you need some tough love in these scenarios, right? You need you need someone to say, ah, this one, this needs more salt. Ah, this needs a little bit more tang. Ah, this this one's undercooked. We need to cook it a little longer. Gabriel and Don were the epitome of this, where I think Gabriel should not have gone as far as he did with Don and chef explaining how to make ribs um, for someone who fucking does this in her sleep, like she said. Yes. And Gabriel went way over the top on this, but. You know what? I like the dynamic of someone giving someone what they maybe not want to hear but need to hear. And I think Gabriel is willing to step out and say, hey, you know, I think this actually needs less of that or more of that. Whereas Brittany and Sasha, they were not um, they're not giving each other tough love. They thought everything was just rainbows and butterflies. And so they put it on the dish and they all they both of them thought, hey, what are we doing here on the bottom? I thought we did a pretty good dish. And the issue is. There was no blending. There was no like, hey, let's take elements from both of our dishes and make an entirely new dish. And that's the kind of thing that you need when you're brainstorming is, hey, let's not do two separate things. Let's bring it together and reinvent the dish. And that's what Gabriel and Don did. They completely redid their dish. Or- well, they did something different, actually, that really, I think, speaks well of both of them, which is there's two ways to go. You're absolutely right. Like you you find components or you just one some one chef stands down and just says hey we'll go with yours i'll make the support you know i'll make the accompaniments be at the you know sort of the side and the garnishes and you know it's funny for you know gabriel was both the most the biggest egoist in the competition and the smallest egoist in the competition right like in certain sense he's bossy again chef's blaming the use of black pepper but on the other hand i really applaud it and even dawn acknowledged like hey it showed a lot of largeness right like he basically said hey man we're going with your entree i'll do something else we'll figure out something fun for me to do and i think that you know the irony is is for all of their happy uh, as you say you know butterflies and rainbows one of them didn't have the gumption to say hey i'm standing down let's go with your dish Let's figure out how to make me useful. And that was very much both in the winning dish, Shodan Abishar, and Don and Gabriel, which appeared to be the runner-up dish. That was the formula, was one person took over, the other kind of worked as Sue, and it came out beautiful. Which one would you have eaten, preferred, the Abishar and Shota's dish or the Gabriel, uh, Gabriel and, and, uh, and Don, the ribs? Oh, I mean, I go with Shodan Abishar. I'm a sucker for like like Japanese in like, you know molecular gastronomy with japanese with like like a like also you know what's interesting i learned something i always thought sunomono was the name of the salad that is the vinegar based cucumber salad i didn't realize that sunomono is just vinegar in general like it doesn't have to be cucumbers it could be a fish so that was something i learned but like that double cream coffee stout reduction like and i and i love you know it's funny the carbonated grates are very eight years ago it, we, we, while we haven't been looking, molecular gastronomy sort of had its peak about seven, eight years ago, and it's sort of you don't see it present in the restaurants we go to as much anymore. Like those places, sort of the the the, the Alinea tree is is not producing as much like places like that. Even even um, Michael Voltaggio's place in my town, Inc., which played a lot with that. Like it's becoming less of a trend. We're going back and I'm wondering after COVID if we actually, it even drops even more because we're going to be looking for kind of comfort. Food. Mm. I thought it was really smart, Avishar, doing something that was unquestionably his here. And he had the confidence right. to do the carbonated grapes. Um, kudos to Avishar on that. I want to I move over to 
um, Chris and Byron here. Mm-hmm. They did um, they did the duck breast with the coffee tornellini. It didn't make sense to me, Kevin. Did it make the de- that dish just didn't come together for me? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it could have. I do like kind of a pasta with a protein. Here's a game theory question I had for you. So, in that scenario, so Byron is watching Chris make fundamental errors. You have two choices. One is, in an effort to make sure you're not on the bottom, you really point it out. You 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 edit your partner. You say, "Hey, man, you gotta try again. Like, let press that pasta a little thinner, right?" Or Given that, and I made this kind of analogy earlier, do you just worry that, hey, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun the other guy. As long as my partner makes a crappier element than me, I got my duck. I'm going to execute the protein. He's screwing up the pasta. Hey, you know what? I'm just going to get out of the way, keep my mouth shut, because I know that even Mm. if we end up on the bottom – He's going down and I'm not. All I have to do is make a better component on this plate than he does. Because that is actually the competition, right? The competition is, hey, collectively, we don't need to, we need to make sure we don't make the seventh best dish. But there's a sub-competition, which is if you truly want to guarantee your survival, it's not even about finishing on the bottom collectively. It's about I, my component is better. It's a competition. The funny thing is your partners, you're the utmost partner with your, uh, your your partners, but you're also competitors. Yeah. And I think that decision that Byron makes, and I'm not saying he did it deliberately. He might've just been, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to be a nice guy here. I'm not going to tell a guy what to do, but by virtue of keeping his mouth shut, he actually ensured his survival. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that Byron said it's a little, it's feeling a little, tasting a little thick here at the top. Um, like initially he might've did a soft, like, Hey, you know, it's a little al dente or something like that. It's too thick, uh, for me right now, maybe thinning out because I think that's the move, Kevin, because what I fear about doing the ladder where you're, you're basically saying, Hey, he's screwing up. I'm going to let him screw up because that makes me look better by virtue of him. He's going to be the the last one, uh, in that beer, beer chase, bear chase. But I think if you do that, you run the risk of going to the judges' table and Tom Colicchio or Padma or Gail saying, you tasted the dish, right? Why didn't you say something? And then you're caught in a tough spot because then it seems like you are – it's transparent that you were letting him sabotage himself and you weren't being partners in a dish. So I think you have to, Kevin. You have to at least check the box off and say, I suggested him – to thin out the pasta or cook it a little bit longer. And if he still goes forward with it, then that you're done. You're good. You're clean. Your hands are clean and you've already put in your suggestion and you move off. So I think what Byron did initially being like when he tasted it first, I believe he made a little suggestion and then he kept doing it. And at that point you just say, you know what? That's, that's, that's your bad. I mean, if, if you're going to go forward with that dish after I've made a suggestion, a slight suggestion, then I'm not going to hammer you, uh, and try to try to do it again. Uh, you've already made your bed. So, uh, Chris with the coffee tortellini where they were like, I don't know where the coffee, Oh, it's in the tortellini. Okay. And then it was just too thick, chalky. Um, and I guess too al dente undercooked. Um, I think, I think Chris was in very much danger of getting sent home for that. Yeah, and to speak more broadly about Chris, I'll be honest with you. I had him very high on my draft board. I like the pedigree. To me, in the pilot or on the pilot, the first episode, he kind of demonstrated a 
you know, technical competence. I think he's a generally creative chef, even what he came up with and conceived with the pasta, I thought was very smart. The, the coffee laces, it was a gorgeous dish had it had it been executed. Um, I, I think he, the flavors he has selected thus far um, have impressed me. And I had high hopes for Chris. I'll be honest with you. I had him as my, my fourth or fifth on my board overall coming into the draft. Um, you know, I wanted to get him and I, I was hoping I could get him at seven and I did because uh, I, I didn't know if you had him highly ranked. So I'm a little concerned on that. Mm. Like I, I just – I thought this was a really – sound technical chef and i just worry that if you can't execute a pasta or something so basic as knowing whether your pasta is gummy or, or it's got that kind of flour bitterness or you know whatever it is so so i'm a little worried and um because i really thought he was going to be one of these hey he'll play air free ball for a while he'll he'll get into the final eight and you know he'll be in restaurant wars and we'll go from there you know and i and i'm now I got real concern here um, for different reasons than you do with dogs. Yeah, and and I also noticed he had a sad clap. Is uh, when he wasn't in the comp- he wasn't in the top um, top half of this, or he wasn't in the top three, or whatever we want to call it. He, you could see him in the back just doing this like sad clap to the winners of the of the challenge. And um, you know, I just noted that is that Chris did not have a great showing this episode. Um and I thought he did okay on the on the cheddar black garlic hash. I mean to me again, the black garlic, that's a that's a smart in the in the in the you know, that's that's a smart way to do that dish. I thought he did incredibly well with Richard's kitchen. He almost sink, got sent so, home. I mean, he almost got sent home. No, 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 I know. And, and that, that's my concern. But I, I think as you said earlier, one of the interesting things about the first three or four episodes is the small sample size, right? Is this going to be indicative of a trend going forward or did he have a bad week? And again, I mean, I, I question the strategy like pasta making. I mean, unless that's your shtick and, and, you know, obviously plenty of chefs have come through that, you know, like the Joe Sasto, um, do you even futz with that in, in a round of 14 where, again, all you have to do is run outrun. You know, you get you, you, one of 13 contestants. And and so that to me is, uh, you know, judgment call there. But I, I'm not convinced this is a guy who I need to worry about immediately. But it did give me pause. Yeah. And and look, if they were doing like a duck ragu with pasta, like that dish would make sense to me. Um, but the, but the, the fact that it seemed like there were two dishes put into one um, I thought I thought was was a drawback. And of course, they go into the bottom, yeah. Brittany and Sasha. Uh, they, they were surprised they were in the bottom. And I think Sasha and Brittany uh, might have produced the worst dish. I think maybe if you're going to go with the theory of who produced the worst element of the four that were in the bottom, Byron, Sasha, Brittany, and Chris, you might send Chris home. But Sasha goes home um, because of her romesco. And then she it was just a it, it, the dish didn't really come together. It was a mess. Um and again, it, camaraderie is not going to produce a dish. I don't care how good the energy is with your partner; it doesn't. It, it doesn't do the cook. And um, again, I, I, just from a personal standpoint, and I'm just being petty. Like there was a preciousness that kind of annoyed me about the whole shtick. Like just like put your game face on. <laughs> uh, kind of like why it's like why I like Dawn. Like hey, you know, Sarah's fine in the self deprecation. You know, can get a little excessive, but at the end of the day, like it, it's you know, it's it's it, it's it's inter- it's internal rather than external, and um, you know, anyway. So uh, that's it. I mean, I lose, I lose. Uh, Sasha, yeah, Tony Collette is gone; is no longer in the cast, and she gets bumped to Last Chance Kitchen, which Tom 
How did it debut this week? Tell us about Last Chance Kitchen. Yeah, always great to have Last Chance Kitchen back. Uh, just 12 minutes of pure Top Chef goodness. Colicchio is at his, you know, dad, dad joke finest. Um, you need to have thick skin uh, to win in this competition. And here we have some thick skin foods in this uh, in this quick fight or last chance kitchen competition. Um, so they had a series of thick skinned elements. They had the pistachio. They had the jackfruit. They had clams and oysters, etc., and they had to basically choose three and, and, and chop style, make a dish with those three. So um, with Sasha going against Roscoe, it was, you know, it was a tough, tough draw. I mean, he, Sasha had to do oysters, pistachio and cherimoya. I've never even heard of that before. So I was just I was very interested to see what that was all about. And then Roscoe went with clams, peanuts and jackfruit. I don't know how to cook either of those two uh, fruits there. So it was it was really interesting to see that uh, Sasha just made a dish that as far as Tom Colicchio has, is concerned, I can't remember a dish that he loved as much as this yeah. one on Last Chance Kitchen. Yeah, no, look, I mean, Sasha can cook. And and I think, again, it, it was conception. Um, well, it was execution, too, on that Romesco. But but I think, like, that was a gorgeous dish. I mean, that looked delicious. And she combined the elements beautifully. Yeah, I mean, that that's – this could be an LCK contestant to be reckoned with. Um, I'm, I really – I mean, just – we've talked about it a bunch of times in the last few years. But I, I think LCK in terms of sort of what – uh a mainline television show can do as a digital element add-on is brilliant. Like, like just, it is an accomplishment of digital media to have essentially a show within the show, 12 minutes of additional programming that can pick up sponsorship, that it can be produced, by the way, within the confines of the existing set in the infrastructure of the show with the existing talent. Like, like LCK should get an award, an Emmy or digital Emmy award for just in, ingenuity in that element. Like I, I just purely from a television production standpoint, like it is a, I love LCK. Yeah. And so do you. And it, it just, I, I, I'm, that's all I'll say it is, it is just, it's an achievement uh, from a television and digital standpoint. Yeah. And, and what I like about it is. I think Tom's just grazing by the table and talking to the chefs. Some of my favorite elements of the show is when yeah. you get the chefs getting so like uncomfortable. The Jen Carrollness of it is just like, oh shit, Tom's coming over here. Like I love that part of Top Chef, and you get that in full uh, purity in this in Last Chance Kitchen. Is that you get the little nerves, but you know who's not showing nerves is Sasha. Sasha is so good on this show in terms of she seems so comfortable and she's got the right personality. She's the opposite of Jen yeah. Carroll. Is like when Tom comes over to the table. I notice Sasha's making eye contact and totally there with him. Whereas Jen is like feverishly working on her, on her dish and not, and just trying to ignore Tom. Sasha's there. Sasha is just vibing with Tom and he's willing to just like, you know, have a conversation while she's cooking. There's, there's a certain like serene calm to her in this competition that I, I would not be surprised if she came out on top and, and, and got back in the competition. Uh, yeah, she is the – especially in the elimination, she is the human embodiment of the little dog sipping the coffee while the house burns down. <laughs> right? Like 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 that was her in the elimination. We love the dish, right? Like, um, And I always have a certain respect for those those contestants. You know, I really like her personality. I mean I, I just 
you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think that was a gorgeous dish in LCK. So Tom, what are we looking for for next week? What do you? What is some information on the field of contestants you're still trying to glean? Yeah, Jamie is the number one thing for me. Is trying to figure out Jamie. She feels like Brian Malarkey to me. This season's Malarkey because for all of the class clownish, you know, annoying stuff that Malarkey does, that I kind of feel like Jamie's shtick of making sounds like uh, the dude from Police Academy. I kind of feel like that might get tiresome and it might rub the contestants a little wrong where it's just like, oh, this again, the same way where Malarkey was just doing that and then just doing amazing in the competition. Uh, I'm curious to see if Jamie, because as we've talked about her, her, her background and her, uh, her Vegas restaurant, fantastic. I just, I'm curious. I'm really curious about Jamie and her ability to, to produce at a high level while having that amazing character trait is that she just loves to speak in sounds. Um, that's, you know, the, the fact that she says she has anxiety with competitions, it doesn't bode well for, for her. But um, I think, I think that's probably the number one thing. I know what I'm getting from Shoda and Jane and Gabe um, and, and Sarah, the other contestants, I'm really, I'm really into Maria. And if you're willing to Kevin, if you're willing to entice a deal, I want to do Maria and Brittany for Don and Ooh, um, Maria and Brittany for Don and Kiki. Oh, that's a really interesting offer. Yeah, let's do it. Maria and Brittany is now on Team Haberstrow, and Don and Kiki is on Team Arnovitz. Fascinating. Let's do it. So you're buying low let's on Don. You're, you're, you're. I think I'm buying low on Don. I mean, does the time management worry me? Yes, but I just you meant you noted it in the in the in the uh, draft episode, which is. There's a competitiveness in this chef that suggests that she will overcome this issue, that she's not going to let it be fatal. There's nothing. And again, every I mean, how interesting is it that even when she doesn't get a key element on the plate, the judges are like, oh, this is good. <laughs> right. <laughs> like imagine. And by the way, look at her ribs. Did you see how clean that rib was, Tom, that the judges were sucking on? Like, like. I, that was, I mean, you could use that as a, you could put that in your toolbox. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? She's yours now. She's yours. Um, I, I'm sorry to see. I think Brittany is is better than than was demonstrated this week. Like I, I'm I'm a little sad to see Brittany, but I I'm I'll tell you what. I'm confident enough in Kiki's competence. Right? Yeah, the avocado toast wasn't the most creative choice, but she nailed it. It looked good. She has yet to produce anything that's been on the bottom. And so to me, I'm not worried that I'm going to take, I'm going to eat a negative five in the next couple of weeks there, you know? So I love this trade. It was a tough one. I got to say it was a 5149 proposition, but I will, I accept it. I will now acquire Don. You want to do the trade call with the league? Yeah, we'll do a, a trade call with the league. Um, team Haverstrow is trading Don and Kiki to team Arnovitz for Maria and Brittany uh, the trade is going to go through after the scoring of this second episode of Top Chef. So all of the points that they have acquired at this point still goes to their original yes. teams. But he henceforth, Don and Kiki are going to be producing points for Team Arnovitz. And Maria and Brittany are going to Team Haberstrow. And the scoreboard is, Kevin, 27, Kevin, 
to 26 Haberstrow. And you get the two top winners in Avishar and Shota. And Shota was the top uh, in, in the quick fire. So you get two big winners in this episode, but you get the loser in Sasha. She picked up a quick fire point and a last chance kitchen point uh, by beating Roscoe. But still, it is a close match after one because I had a bunch of folks in the top three or in the top uh, half of the competition. They might not have won, but I still like my team. And now I get Maria and Brittany. I think Maria is a real sleeping dragon here. I, I, I think she's good. And that was tough to part with her. I'll tell you that that was, um, but I, but I really believe in Dawn. We, uh, I'm loving the season, Tom. I like the way the season is shaping out. The field is interesting. A lot of contrast in styles, a lot of contrast and, and sort of creativity, personalities. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, it's just, it's a really good one. Uh, final words. Roscoe. Miss you, buddy. Uh, can't wait to eat your food wherever you end up. Um, I'm going to definitely, definitely miss having him around the show. I, I thought he had a, a good last chance kitchen dish, but uh, RIP to his Top Chef competition. Uh, I wish I could have watched him longer. No, uh, th- there's an endearing irony. I love, I love the person and uh, we will miss that voice and, and contestant. He is just one of a kind. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Ornovitz, and this is Hack Your Knives. 